0: On a few occasions in the last few weeks and months, we have been uh, in a series in the early chapters of Revelation, and today we are braving it as far as chapters 8 through to chapter 11. We're looking at another epic vision uh, in the book of Revelation. John writing this letter to a group of churches that have begun to f- feel the pressure of living in a world that is opposed to to God, and uh, we we saw in the last the last time we were here um, about how there's a silence in heaven at the beginning of chapter eight. There's silence in heaven, almost God silencing his angels to allow him to hear and pay attention to the prayers of the saints. And so we're going to look at the the a new vision uh, that comes from chapter eight onwards. But we're going to set about it in a slightly different way. I'm going to read the passage at the end of the message and then say, let's pray. Before that, um, I'm going to explain, we'll kind of run through the gist of what the passage says and then why this passage is here. What do we need to know? Why Why is it here to encourage us? What is it saying to us uh, today? Then, like I say, we'll read the passage um, at the end. Perhaps you'll turn with me, just to begin with, to the very beginning of the book of Revelation, to chapter 1, to verse 3, which is particularly helpful for us to to bear in mind. Right at the outset there, Revelation 1 and verse 3, it said, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. And that's a relevant Verse to remind us of because God wants to bless us. God wants us to to take to heart the message that's in this book. And sometimes with the Book of Revelation, because the language that's used is so uh, so dramatic, so vivid, it's it's rich with symbols that can kind of have us scratching our heads at some point. We can think maybe this is a book that's really just for theologians, for people whose job it is to read and study the Bible and read books about it. It's just for them. It's just for those who are very academic. And, uh, but this book was not written, written um, to puzzle us or just to satisfy a few deep-thinking theologians. This book was written to bless us. We want So it's not written to, to puzzle us. It's written so that we take to heart a message that's within it. And it's very worth bearing that in mind as we head into this next vision, which is the vision of the trumpets. And uh, again, we're going to see so many um, weird and wonderful and bizarre images and symbols, and it gets really interesting. Now, often in the Bible, when trumpets are used or spoken of, particularly in the Old Testament, um, they are often a warning. A warning for God's people to gather, maybe to fight an enemy that's coming towards them. Or sometimes it's a sense of just gathering together because actually there's some stuff to hear. There's some news to hear, so the whole nation needs to gather. So when you hear the trumpet blast, gather together. That might even happen before festivals and the like. You can see that if you look on another occasion uh, in the book of Numbers, Numbers 10. It mentions a few of those things here. These trumpets here, they have a a sense of that, a sense of God's warning And also, particularly of God's judgment. These uh, seven trumpets bring the judgment of God onto the inhabitants of the earth. So this is not entirely uh, easy reading. We're dealing with a passage that deals with God's judgment towards sin. But this is written to a church so that the church might be encouraged. So the church might be strengthened in her faith, in her in her mission, in her expectation of God amongst her, amongst us. And so it's written for our encouragement, and we're going to get hold of it. Now, I need some volunteers. You're not going to have to do very much. Um, I need seven volunteers. So if you're feeling particularly angelic, um, would you like to come and stand on the stage, avoiding all kind of manner of guitars and uh, effects pedals, It's birthday boy, welcome birthday boy. Yeah, wonderful. Okay, we do need another six. I don't have to pick you, you can just come. Okay, we've got Tom. Doesn't have to just be guys that feel angelic on this particular morning. Okay, oh, now the rush is on. We can't have eight, I'm sorry, it's in the Bible. Now, what would be great is if you could just line up here for a moment. And what would be wonderful, do we have... If you organize yourself into height order. So the shortest person over here. And the tallest person. <laughs> so John, if you come right down. Uh, oh no, not quite, not quite. Um, here we have. You can stand together. Bunch in a bit for now. That's it. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. Our seven angels. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Excellent. And the seven angels each have a trumpet. You just have to imagine that part this morning. Each angel is holding a trumpet. And when the trumpet blasts, um, God sends uh, a judgment on the earth. And so we're going to go through, in turn, what each trumpet involves. And it it really gets good. The good bit is trumpet number seven. That happens to be Alistair. I think we can agree with that. That's wonderful. Um, So, the first four trumpets um, are to do with judgment on the earth, judgment on the planet. So the first trumpet blasts, and do you know what? William, what you uh, do when the, when the first trumpet goes off? Uh, fire and hail mixed with blood. Uh, sorry, mate. Um, falls on the earth. It falls on the land, and it burns up a third of the land and vegetation, uh, and so that has impact on the land. The next guy, the next trumpet. We have the second trumpet, that one blasts, and we see something like uh, a mighty, let me just check, because I'm going to get number two and number three mixed up. A huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. So trumpet number one hits the land, trumpet number two hits the sea, a third of it turns to blood, a third of the living creatures die, um, and a third of ships are destroyed, Okay, so that's number two. Number three, Kimberly, well done. Uh, the third trumpet comes, and uh, something like a star falling from the sky comes down. That star is called Wormwood, and what it does, it doesn't hit land or sea, it hits fresh water. It hits rivers and springs, and it turns them uh, turns them bitter, um, and many people die as a result of drinking what the third angel has to uh, declare, bring about we got the fourth angel, and when the fourth angel struck... uh, This is yours, Jules, your moment of fame, thank you very much. Um, A third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars. And so a third of them turned dark. So, land, sea, rivers, sky. And they bring different devastation to different realms of the earth. Now, right at this point, if you just want to shuffle that way a little bit... Right at this point, there's an eagle in the sky. And the eagle flies around. And the eagle, at the highest point in the sky, says, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth for the trumpet blasts that are about to be sounded. So if you thought the first four were tough, <laughs> the next three get worse. Why don't we just say a thank you to the first four. Thank you so much for being our angels. Okay. Okay, trumpet... Number five comes, and this releases a whole load of locusts. Now, in biology, uh, in my biology classes, we used to have a tank of locusts, and they always looked a bit creepy. In the ancient world, they were a horror to behold. <laughs> you just discovered an extra inch. I'd swap back because number six, Alice is in the best position, and you'd be hard pushed to make. You seem taller than he is. Sorry about that. Um, okay. So, so locusts in the ancient world, utterly devastating. They'd come in a big swarm. They'd, they'd hit a certain area for a few days, and they would devour everything in sight. And we get a totally bizarre description of locusts. These are clearly not ordinary locusts. There's something different about these locusts. Um, and they bring not so much a physical devastation on the earth... They actually bring torment to people, and there's a verse that we'll we'll read at the end. It, it says how men will despair, and will want to die, but will be unable to um, because of because of torment. Now these locusts, they they have like a, the appearance. They've got a human face. They've even got women's hair. That is stretching a little bit, isn't it? But John is the angel. John is the angel, not the locusts. Um, and so this idea, these, these horrific, um, evil spirits, basically, these uh, these locusts, are looking to torment people who don't belong to God. Um, and they do that, really, I suppose, by by bringing them to despair. Bringing them to a point of, I, I don't really want to face life anymore. I just want to give up. Death eludes them, but they're just left uh, depressed, uh, downhearted, and tormented. And that's that's what's at stake in a world that has chosen to go, turn away from God. The world can promise so much, but ultimately what it brings will just be a sense of, ah, oh, what's the point? Those are the locusts that come. The locusts torment, they don't kill. Let's say thank you to John. Goodbye John, thank you. Okay, we're nearly, we're nearly there. The sixth trumpet blasts. And another thing that would have been absolutely horrific in the ancient world to behold. Uh, locusts, they would have been terrible. Um, but uh, beyond the Roman Empire, um, what was greatly feared coming from the east uh, would be great, uh, a massive cavalry force, uh, horses, um, armed for battle, coming against that empire. And actually, the Roman Empire lived with that fear. Uh, beyond the river Euphrates uh, could come these, uh, these vicious, numerous... Um, enemies mounted on horses. Here come a lot of horses. Again, they're described in weird and wonderful, well, not wonderful at all, just just stick with weird, uh, weird and horrific ways. And whereas the locusts torment people who don't know God, the, the, this cavalry charge comes, and it sweeps away a third of the population of the earth in, in death, bringing a whole number of plagues with it. Now... Why is this book written? Well, guys, I just need you for a little bit longer, but if you budge over this way. Here are all the judgments that are coming on the earth. And they're not necessarily um, all uh, literal things. We can hear about all those things and think, crumbs, does that mean, oh, is that talking about nuclear fallout? Uh, Is that talking about Apache helicopters or whatever? Is it talking about things that we might be familiar with? Well, it it may include some of those things, may include some of the difficulties that are involved in living uh, on the earth. But it involves other stuff too. It involves just people living, not with literally a third of the sun struck down, but just with an increased sense of darkness. So living on the earth, but living in darkness. So uh, often that will be the case. People have got a sense that there's something more out there. There's some greater meaning to life than just a nine to five and going on holiday every now and again. There's more to it. and, And so people might be reaching out to encounter something supernatural, but they're still stumbling around in the dark. Still stumbling around not knowing. You know, if, if all the lights were turned off and it was pitch dark in your house, you might kind of vaguely remember where you left something, but you, the chances are you'd bump into things. That's the plight for people who don't know God. And so that's happening in the world. Before we get to the seventh trumpet, God wants to take the church aside. God wants to speak to the church because the church could be feeling like this. We heard that message just spoken earlier on when Ben was speaking and uh, just sharing some people feeling ugly or dirty, some people feeling weak. And sometimes God's people can be in a situation where they just feel like this. They feel hard-pressed. There's some horrific stuff that's going on. Maybe out there in the world, out there in the news, or maybe in your own personal life. Maybe in family that you know and love and you wish they'd turn to Jesus and know what it is to really be in God's family. And so, ah, oh, the church and the church in Revelation just feeling, ah, oh, a bit weighed down. God wants to speak to them. He does so in some amazingly bizarre images. And then we get the wonderful part at the end. Thank you, Alistair. Um, the seventh trumpet blasts and then God's kingdom comes in, in its completeness. And, uh, there's, there's no more suffering. Thank you so very much. Why don't we give one last round of applause to today's angels. So there is a lot going on. Um, When we get to that part where it's almost like God wants to take the church aside in between the sixth and the seventh trumpet, we we hear some weird things. Um, A bright angel stands, and in his hand he's got a little scroll that's standing open. And John sees this angel um, but he also hears the voice of seven thunders, and the seven thunders speak. And he's about to write down what the seven thunders say. There's no, that's close that up, set that aside. It's this, this little scroll is what's been revealed, and John is told to eat it, and then to speak uh, to many nations. Uh, the church feeling trampled upon, but it's getting it's getting encouraged by uh, by what we see. We also come across. Uh, two witnesses, two olive trees, two lampstands, two witnesses. And they're all a way of talking about the church. The image of the lampstand before has been used to talk about the church. And so two lampstands that are also two olive trees that are also two people. Welcome to Revelation. This is apocalyptic language. This is interesting. This is a type of language we don't tend to use or have much familiarity with today. And that's why we just need to do a little bit of work. Before we receive uh, the encouragement that comes from it. So two olive trees. Two lampstands. Two witnesses. Two people. Those two people seem to resemble two heroes from the Old Testament. Moses and Elijah. They seem to operate with the, the, the power um, that those two guys had. Interesting. Moses and Elijah, they stood up and preached and spoke and shared the truth, both in situations that were incredibly hostile. And so Moses was in Egypt saying to the Pharaoh, let my people go. And he with, and he brought um, all those messages to the Pharaoh who so was harshly treating God's people. And uh, when Elijah was ministering, again, he he could be forgiven for thinking he was the only one. He was the only one who really wanted to share truth and be faithful to God. The whole nation had fallen away and started worshipping other idols. Uh, But Elijah stands and Elijah speaks truth and Elijah is given power. And so the church is being encouraged by those things. We'll, we'll look at those in a little bit more detail. To begin with, uh, in a little while, let's consider then what does this vision show us—the vision of the seven trumpets. How are we to receive benefit and blessing and encouragement from this uh, this morning? It is, as we're going to read it, it's sobering. Um, it's it's dramatic. The implications of it are uncomfortable at various points. It gets right up to the sixth trumpet. After that sixth trumpet has blasted and this uh, hideous horde of horses is is released uh, to wreak death, it, it gives us a hint of, well, why have we been told this? What's going on? And as we read at the end of chapter 9, it says, The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality or their thefts. That's the situation as it stands after those six trumpet blasts have sounded that kind of represent God's judgment on the earth that's taking place now from the point that Jesus died and rose again all the way through to the point where Jesus comes again. These are the things that have been happening. And what's the response of those on the earth? They did not repent of the work of their hands. And what we see, therefore, is that God is bringing judgment on a world that's turned away from him. But God is looking actually to draw people to repentance. And so, devastating though they may have been, these trumpet blasts have affected a third. A third of the land. A third of the sea. A third of the rivers. A third of the stars and the sun and the moon. There's there's torment that doesn't lead to death. There's death, but there's only for a third. So, it's judgments but restrained and God is looking for a response and it's sobering because at that point we realize there's no neutral ground here there's no there's no middle ground where we can kind of sit casually maybe there is a God but I don't really want to follow him um this arrests our attention and it's one of the saddest saddest verses of scripture really to say they they did not repent and we can see that all as doom and gloom and horror or we can begin to detect within it the mercy and patience of god let's just look at a couple of places where we where that comes out elsewhere in scripture for example in 2 peter and verse 9 it says there The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It goes on to say, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth. Uh, and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought we to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. It's a a similar sense there of there's a day coming, there's a day coming when that seventh trumpet gets sounded, and God's kingdom is brought in all its fullness. And in a sense, this, this, this vision is saying, Just be absolutely sure you get right with God. We don't know when that day is going to come. And we can't live life in a a kind of no man's land. Entertaining ideas of God. Stumbling around in the dark. I'm not quite sure, but I I think I left something over here. Oh, I'm just about to. And uh, we tumble off. God doesn't want us to live in the dark. God doesn't want us. To live without a close relationship with him. So God is, is patient. That's the mystery of it. God is patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. Why does he want everyone to come to repentance? Because that way people come into eternal life. That way when the seventh trumpet sounds, there's a, a rejoicing as we are caught up to be with God forever. It's speaking of heavenly realities. This is the world. This is history as heaven sees it. This is life from heaven's perspective. It's so easy to walk around our our nine to five or go on holiday or have a nice weekend. um, Have small little aims and pleasures that we've got in view. Kind of just delaying that niggling thought. Is there a God? Where, where is what really is the direction of my life here? Do I really understand who is Jesus, and and why do I need to know him? Oh, he sounds interesting sometimes. I, when I hear people talk about him, um, they 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 talk about well, as I was hearing today, kind of forgiveness, that sense of just being made completely clean. And God coming to me where I might just feel kind of dirty. I know that I've done things wrong. Wow. And I've heard this message. I've heard these, these kind of tantalizing uh, messages of a God who wants to forgive. A God who's got mercy. A God who can change my life. That sounds interesting. Right. But, but, right. Well, where, where did I, right. Um, cause I've got to move on now. Um, and it just gets set aside, just gets left behind. And maybe today is a day where God just wants to grab your attention and say, get right with me. Get right with me. Maybe you've heard. and Maybe you're quite familiar with the message of Jesus. Might have even done an alpha course. But how have you responded? Have you come to that point where you've said, actually, I do need to repent because what happens here is, is the the rest of mankind, they, they want to keep worshipping other things. They want to keep hold of other things, maybe other things that they've treasured, and maybe they're concerned, well, if I, if I give that up, what's gonna look, look, life, life gonna look like? If I, if I do turn to Jesus and receive from Him the forgiveness and the life that He has, actually, what's that gonna cost me? There might be things, pleasures in life, things I like to worship, things I like to do, and uh, I I don't really want to miss out. And so there are people here that that keep hold of their idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. But they're idols that cannot see or hear or walk. It's almost that sense of they want to keep hold of that, but these are gods that don't satisfy. These are experiences that... Well, they can't even speak to you. Why don't you come into a relationship with the one true God who does walk and talk and save and deliver? Now, you might already have come to that point. You may have already. I know many of you will, obviously, since you're here. Uh, You are disciples of Jesus and you want to follow him more. There's that sense for us of of we've received something wonderful. We've received wonderful grace, wonderful forgiveness. But today... There can still be that sense of God saying to us, get right with me. Don't, don't delay. Don't give your life over. You know me. You love me. I love you. I've forgiven you. You have, you're my people. So don't get mixed up in what the world has to offer. So do you need to get right with God today? Is there a way in which perhaps relationship has just become casual? That last song we were singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And when we come to some of these passages that we've read in Revelation, I hope that it gives us a fresh perspective on, yes, God is our friend. God, Jesus is our brother. We've got a relationship with God where we can call him Father We've got access before Him at all time. It's fact. If you're in Christ, there's peace between you and God. Full stop. He's done it. He's forgiven us. He's cleansed us. He's made us white. We are His. We belong to Him. Well, that is, that is fact. As we read through these passages, however, we also realize that as well as being our friend and our Father and our God and our wonderful Savior, He is a God to be feared. He is a God who is holy, holy, holy. And if we know him, we've got an obligation to get right with him. If we don't know him, we've got an invitation to get right with him and know him uh, because of all that he has uh, in store for us. So what does this vision teach us? It teaches us that we need to get right with God. It also teaches us about the church and the church that has a mission. Now remember, as we went through those uh, those seven trumpets, we could kind of imagine that right before the seventh trumpet blasted, the church is just feeling a little bit like this. So we had that message earlier on, just shared about maybe people are feeling uh, ugly or dirty and need to receive God's kind of, uh, kind of cleansing love afresh today. Uh, but also there can be God's people feeling weak. With all this going on, it's, oh, this is tough stuff. The church can just be feeling small and and kind of threatened. There's a part, and we'll read it in just a moment, where it speaks of the temple of God being trampled. And there's that sense in which, yet yeah, God is protecting his people, but that doesn't mean that God's people are, are never without challenge and difficulty. And there are circumstances which can feel uh, tough. There can be people that are... They're hostile um, towards the faith. And the church is called to be a faithful witness in a world that has gone astray. But the church can just be feeling a bit downpressed. And so God wants to come to his church and encourage her. He wants to come to her and say, look, I've got plans for you. I've, I'm going to equip you. I'm going to empower you, even at times when it feels like um, everything is shrunk down to its smallest, know this, I've got a plan. And so there were a time when you know, Jesus was crucified on the cross. It looked like the end. Uh, it would look like there would be no more talk of Jesus because he'd been killed. And maybe his followers would follow him for a little bit, but they were bound to get discouraged and despondent. So expectation maybe for some. Watching on was just, yeah, this will all dwindle down. This will all sink down. The disciples gathering together in a hostile world, feeling intimidated. But it didn't stay like that. Because three days later, Jesus rose to life. What looked like complete defeat was actually wonderful and total victory. That impacts those disciples. It impacted the church And they received the Spirit and God's kingdom growing and growing and growing. So the church has a mission. A church can be asking herself at certain times, what do we do? Uh, What do we have to help us on this mission? And this vision will show us a number of things that God uh, gives and blesses his church with. And the one of those, the first of those, is... The truth of God's word. We heard about that angel holding open a scroll in his hand. angel um, come from heaven and then saying, saying to John, as it were, Okay, the seven thunders have spoken, but that's something to seal up. We can be tempted sometimes to look into mysteries that God hasn't chosen to reveal. Instead, John is told... Read this book. Kind of eat it. Get hold of it. Digest it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it because it goes on to say that it's, in your mouth, it will be sweet. It'll be satisfying. It brings joy. It brings wonder. When we look in the Word of God, it encourages us. It satisfies us. Helps us get our heads straight. It realizes, wow, all that God has done for me while we were still enemies of God, He sent His Son. To die for us. That we might know him. That we might receive his love. That there might be peace between us and God. So as we eat God's word, it encourages us. It strengthens us. It brings joy to us. As it's digested, it's a sweet and sour or bittersweet experience. In the mouth, it's sweet. When we get hold of God's word, it it does, does us good. It brings us joy. When it goes deeper in... It can make our stomachs sour. That's what happens to John. Well, what's going on there? Surely the word of God is good. It's always good. It's always wonderful. It always benefits us. Well, yes, absolutely. But when we get hold of God's word, we start to see the implications for a world that's gone away from him. And we can see this, for example, in a couple of places where Paul writes in in Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 verse 1 it says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, for those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption of sons. And he goes on. But he's, he's like, I think we can understand that Paul has digested God's word he's got hold of God's word God's word has got hold of him and it's brought him into kind of a a wonderful and fruitful and enjoyable relationship with God but the experience of really digesting God's word kind of brings him to this point of anguish because he says I I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers he's got an anguish because he he cares the word of God has affected him and he cares There are people who do not know God. There are people that are astray from him. And that hits him in the heart. And so it's sweet on his lips. But it's painful in his heart. Because he wants people to know the truth. He wants people to know God. And when we get hold of the word of God. And when the word of God gets hold of us. It has the same effect. It brings us to that point of anguished compassion. And there can be those of us. Here today, and you know actually you have an anguished compassion for friends and relatives, and you desire that only that they would turn to God, that only that they would come to Jesus. Jesus himself experienced that kind of anguish in matthew twenty three and verse thirty seven he was approaching the hour of his own crucifixion he'd he'd come to jerusalem the son of god who came to save had come to jerusalem but he knew that for many there would be a resistance and people wouldn't respond and he says this matthew 23 and verse 37 oh jerusalem jerusalem you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus, a, a sense of sorrow that actually he so desired that Jerusalem received him as king. And received salvation, but he knew there'll be resistance. Then he knew for some they wouldn't turn. It's, it's mysterious that, that in life the same, the same calamity can befall two people. The same tragedy, the same harsh reality of of living in a world That is in rebellion and therefore under judgment. Two people experiencing the same calamity. For one, it can be the means by which they turn to God and they receive grace from God and they come and they know God more closely as a result of it, even through the pain and through the tears of it. For another experiencing exactly the same thing, it can be the means by which they turn away from God. Means by which they say, well, that's it. I'm not, I'm not going to entertain those fanciful of ideas about Jesus now. There's an anguish. And I think for us, there's a sense of, as we eat the word of God, as we digest the word of God, yet it strengthens us, it does us good, it reminds us of who we are. It should also, in a sense, lead us to a point where we are in a kind of anguish that then leads to prayer, and it leads to action. Because we've all got neighbors, We've all got neighbors who do or don't know Jesus. And so we can be living next door to people or we can be working on a desk next to someone or we can be on the bus going to, into town at the same time as someone and they don't know God. And they are destined for judgment unless they respond to God's wonderful message of grace. Unless uh, they respond... To God's kind of patient invitation. Come on, would you get right with me? And so the church is to eat the word of God, digest the word of God, enjoy the word of God. It's also to, to witness to a world that has gone astray. And again, we can think, but, I, but we're weak. We don't have very much. All this stuff is kicking off. And what are we to do? Well, let's enjoy the word of God. Let's get the word of God into us. Let's pray from the word of God for people to, uh, for God to intervene on this planet to bring people to repentance. But let us also expect the power of God. Let us also expect the power of the spirit. We, we are, we're going to read about these two witnesses that resemble in some way Moses and Elijah. And this is John's way of talking about the church and saying, Church of God, as you faithfully witness, you can expect to receive and you can expect to operate in the same kind of power and anointing that those Old Testament heroes uh, operated with. There's a phrase that crops up a couple of times. These men have power and it's power to witness. It's not a fight against flesh and blood. It's a fight against the, uh, the despairing ways of thinking that come into the world that draw people away. From the life that God has planned. And so uh, like Moses and Elijah we are seeking to persuade a world to turn to him. Seeking to persuade a world to to turn to God. um, But that we can expect power. Now Moses and Elijah they're incredible guys. But it says of Elijah in particular an ordinary man just like us. And the church we can be feeling like this very very ordinary very very weak in ourselves very very unable really in our own powers of persuasion to see people turn to god and we can wait to feel tremendously extraordinary before we step out and i feel that what this uh, this vision is then going on to talk to us about is to say that expect that god will be powerfully at work in his faithful church when we step out feeling weak and unable, when we step out in a world that feels, and often is for, for many, uh, hostile towards the message of the gospel. You might remember that uh, a few times ago, I mentioned uh, the, the missionary Jim Elliott. Uh, Jim Elliott, an American man in the 1950s, went to Bible college and then was part of a team that went to Ecuador. And they had a desire, they had a plan to share the gospel um, with different tribal groups deep in uh, forests of Ecuador, um, share the truth with them so that they might be saved. Uh, And so they went and they were particularly keen to go and minister to one tribe that was known for their savagery. They were known for their violence and their hostility. And so they they made their uh they made their approach. Uh they would they would they had a small plane they would fly around um the area that that tribe was in and they they kind of specifically kind of drop drop tokens of friendship really into their village. And and they kind of they thought they were they were beginning to build up rapport, build up rapport with one guy in particular. Um, they even gave him a, uh, a flight in their plane, and he, this guy from the tribe, was able to spot his village and, and wave down to it. And they, they thought, All right, well, this is this is going well. Well, we're going to take the next step, and we're we're, we're going to go and 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 visit the tribe. And uh, when they when they did that, um, uh, it would appear that rumours had been spread about kind of malicious intent. And so Jim Elliot and, and, and four or five others uh, were martyred for their faith uh, by that tribe. Uh, they'd gone faithfully to share the word of God, but they're in a hostile world. And they encountered opposition. What happens is that the, these two witnesses are enabled to f- complete and declare their message. But it is met with hostility. And so what happens in this, uh, this vision in Revelation is that those two witnesses are killed and their bodies are lying um, on the streets. They're denied burial uh, for three and a half days and they're gloated over and people send gifts to each other to celebrate the fact that these two people that appear like Moses and Elijah have been killed. And um, some are called to... martyrdom and there are some occasions in the life in the history of the church where it appear everything is just shrunk down and the church looks entirely defeated and the church looks small and weak and for some in the world there'll be those who celebrate the fact that christianity looks weak and it looks pathetic and the church has been trampled on well what happens at that point is a breath of life comes to those two witnesses and they stand up on their feet In other words, the message of Revelation is, God wins. The the seventh trumpet comes, God wins. We saw it earlier on, the seventh seal in the previous vision, that was opened, God wins. What is the message of Revelation in two words? God wins. There are times when it can look otherwise. There are times when it would appear like the church itself is lying in the streets whilst others run around celebrating the fact that she has succumbed and she's been defeated. Well, bear in mind, actually, God wins. So however it might look there or now or here or there, God breathes life into his church. A breath of life comes from God. They stand on their feet. They're taken up into glory. And what happens then is that there is a turning to God. There is a repenting. And those uh, many who've, who've seen the, the testimony of those two witnesses, who've heard it declared in the power of the Spirit, they do actually turn. And you know that's what happened. Jim Elliott and his friends gave their lives literally for the gospel. They were run through. But, the ministry went on and there were people from that tribe who said, in my life, I've killed 12 people with the spear. But I now see that what I did was an offense to God. And I'm so glad he's forgiven me for my sin. That happened to people in that uh, in that tribe, the Wadani people in Ecuador in the 1950s. Those who were most hostile to the message responded and came through what a wonderful story for jim elliott now you think actually god wins and god is going to win in the history in the story of the history of the church and so for you and i however we feel, however we feel in our personal witness, however weak we might feel in the here and now, or with whatever's going on in the world around us, or as a church, however we are doing, whatever encouragements there are, whatever discouragements there are from time to time, what we know is God wins. And because God wins... And because he's given us his wonderful word, and because as we get hold of that word, even though it kind of goes sour in our stomach because we care and we want to see people saved, we can expect as we step out to receive power from God, that whatever response we get to our witnessing, there will be fruit. And God will draw people into his kingdom. The seventh uh, trumpet blasts and God's kingdom comes In its fullness, the twenty four elders, they were seated on their throne. They bowed down in worship. They look forward to the fact that not only is there judgment, but there's the hope of rewards to come in heaven. Shall we read the passage? Revelation eight and verse six. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them uh, turned dark. And a third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth, because the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke uh, from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or the plants or trees, but only those people who did not have the seal of God in their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of a sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads was something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of lion, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails, they had power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek, Apollyon. The first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, "'Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates.' And the four angels who'd been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions and out of their mouths came fire, smoke and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed By the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths, the power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes, having heads with which they inflict injury. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood idols that cannot see, or hear, or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality or their thefts. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voice of the seven thunders spoke. When the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, There will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound the trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his angel servants, the prophets. Then the voice i had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, Take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many people's nations, languages, and kings. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshippers there. But exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months and I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire crumbs from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they're prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Now, when they've finished their testimony... The beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who lived on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. And they stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. They went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. And that very hour, there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. Ten thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave Glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming soon. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you. Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you've taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. And within his temple was seen the ark of his covenants, And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and earthquake and a great hailstorm.